0: Well, How are we feeling tonight, exchange? Let's go. I'm so glad to be in the room. If we haven't met, my name is Mark. I get the opportunity of serving as the young adult pastor here, and I'm glad you're here, especially if it's your first time. We want to say welcome home. Come on, let's put our hands together for all of those who are here for the first time. We're glad that you're here with us today. We've been in a collection, a series called Here For It. And every summer, we take some time to talk through our values. I believe it's important to speak about our values. And in week one, I spoke to you on the value passion. Passion is what drives us. In week two, last week, we spoke about community. Here at The Exchange, we say we're not a crowd, but a community. And tonight, in week three, I want to speak to you on the value authenticity. Authenticity. Somebody say authenticity. I'm going to speak on this value, authenticity, and for our time, I'm going to spend some time in Luke chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you should maybe bring one next week. We also got the verses on the screen for you. Luke chapter 12, it reads like this. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. For the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Verse 3 Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all. To hear, It will be shouted from the housetops, from all to hear. Today, I want to speak to you from this idea, authenticity is our heartbeat. Authenticity is our heartbeat. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your power and your presence. God, we acknowledge that you're here. And right now, God, we ask that you would speak, that, Father, you would change and transform our hearts, that, God, you would lead us to know more of you and to look more like you. So have your way in this place. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in college, um, I had a little bit of an obsession with sneakers. Any sneakerheads in the house? A couple of us. Okay. Wow. Hard times. You're in college. I get it. Anyways, when I was in college, though, Not flexing. I was a sneakerhead, and I loved collecting shoes. And one of the things I loved doing was trading shoes, okay? This all existed, mind you, before I was married and had a child. It makes sense. So I I had an obsession with trading shoes and buying shoes and all these different things. And I had a friend in college that we would trade off shoes. He had a lot of Jordans. I had a lot of Yeezys. And one of the things that I started doing after trading shoes with him was I would take some shoes over to a sneaker boutique. And I would take these shoes to the sneaker boutique, and they would put them on consignment for me. They would buy them off me, and they would, uh, your boy would leave with a paycheck. I'm like, Michelle, are we going out to eat? Where are we going, girl? She's like, Chili's. I'm like, I only got money for McDonald's anyways. Um, so I'd take these shoes, and uh, one day I went into the sneaker boutique, and I go to hand over uh, a pair of Jordans to the guy that was behind the counter. And As I hand over these shoes to him, he, he just kind of starts looking at me a little funny, okay? He starts kind of sizing me up and down as he looks at these shoes. And I'm like, all right, we got a problem, bro. Like, what's going on here, you know? And he starts looking at these shoes in every different angle and perspective. And then he looks back at me. And I'm looking at him like, yo, like, just tell me, how much are they worth, bro? So he takes the shoes and brings them a little closer to his face. And he looks at me and goes, bro, these are fake. And I go, that is blasphemy. I'm like, bro, you know, I don't don't play like that, bro. And he's like, no, 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 these are fake, homie. And I'm like, bro, stop playing, bro. We about to throw hands right now, you know what I'm saying? I don't wear fake shoes, homie. And he goes, look closely at the Jordan sign, Mark. I look closely at the Jordan sign and it looks like Michael Jordan is holding his head in his hand and has seven fingers. Okay, like in that moment, I I was just so embarrassed. I'm like, Michelle, we ain't going out to eat today. I'm sorry. But there was no denying that these shoes were were fake. I I was given a counterfeit, and I I share that story because I just wonder, if someone were to look closely at your life, would they recognize you as someone who is authentic about their faith or a counterfeit Christian? I know this kind of feels hard. I know this kind of feels like, man, he's going at me, but I just wonder today, when people look closely at your life, what do they see? What do they see? And I want to lean into this message because today, I believe there's no denying that some of our lives look so different behind closed doors than they do in the church. I believe so many of our lives look so much different behind closed doors than they actually do in the church. And I believe that God wants to break this tendency within us, friends. I believe that God wants to break this habit and this tendency and this way of counterfeit Christianity and God is leading us to an authentic faith. Why? Because when we step into an authentic faith, I believe that God could use us and work through us to be the change in the world that we wish to see. But I believe one of our greatest issues today is we have a whole bunch of people that are playing the church and not being the church. And I believe God's calling us out of this way today. You see, when you hear this word authentic, Oftentimes what comes to mind is something that's real or someone that's real. But when you think about authenticity tonight, I don't want you to just think about authenticity being about something or someone that's real. I want you to think about authenticity being truly about living the word of God out in your life in a real way. Yes, authenticity means to be real. Yes, it means to be authentic, but I want you to understand, this is a call to live out God's word in a real way. So as we lean into this talk, I just want you to hear my heart on this. God is calling us to be a people who are authentic. God's done with counterfeit Christianity. God's done with plastic prayers. God's done with all of the ways that we've been going about our faith. He's calling us to lean in in a real way, and I think when we talk about this topic of authenticity being our heartbeat, we've got to first recognize some of us we've we've been superficial with God. Some of us we, we've been superficial with God. We haven't been leaning into God. We haven't been giving God our all. We haven't been trusting God with our all. And I want you to understand, God is over our selective Christianity too. So many of us we're living with selective Christianity. I'm just going to go to God when I need Him. Some of us, I would would say some of us, we're living our lives in a way where we're just a Sunday saint. I'm just gonna show up to church on Sunday, but Friday and Saturday, you know, I got got plans. I'm being selective about the way that I'm living my life with Jesus and friends. This is a wake-up call to this ministry today. God is calling us not to just give us some of of us, but all of us so he could use us. And work through us and when I, when, I, when I think about this idea, what I want you to understand is one of our greatest issues in the church today is that more people in the church are being discipled by the world than they're actually being discipled by the church. I just sense this is a moment and a time for us to wake up and realize one of our greatest problems is we, we don't know how to be discipled and we're not taking part in discipleship. We talk about having an authentic faith. Friends, this starts by jumping into discipleship and asking God to surround us with people that are going to challenge us and change us to live and look more like Jesus. We can't be passive about this. We can't keep shrinking back. We, we can't keep on waiting and pressing the brakes. Friends, we got to lean in and understand that the time is now. But you know, I was praying and I was really thinking about what this looks like when it comes to authenticity, and God kept on showing me what authenticity doesn't look like. I was reading the book of Revelations and came across Revelations chapter three where Jesus, he rebukes a church called the Church of Laodicea, and he says, I'm calling you out because you have a lukewarm faith. And as as I read that text, granted, we're getting ready to go into a series on the book of Revelation come fall, but as I read this text, My heart shifted and I said, let that not be true of the people in this room. Let that not be true of the people in this room that gather in this ministry. I fail to exist to say we will be a people that are known as a people with lukewarm faith. So, yes, this this message is challenging. It's not all about the grace and the love and the kindness of Jesus. This is called to disrupt you and disturb you and get you uncomfortable. That's what this message is about and if you do have a problem with the message you can email Lindsay Hernandez okay (laughs) so let me start here I think one of the things that are keeping us from living with an authentic faith is that we're people of compromise we're people of of compromise in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus is speaking to the disciples in this moment He's saying, hey, I want you to watch out for the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were a group of religious people that thought they had it all figured out. They thought they knew all things. They knew the whole Old Testament. They knew all of the laws, but really behind closed doors, they were living a different life. They were living a life of compromise. So what does Jesus say? He says, watch out for these people and their teachings for they're living a life of compromise. Let that not be true about our ministry, friends. Let that not be true about this ministry, the exchange that we were people of compromise, but how many of you know it's compromise that will keep you from walking in your calling? It's compromise that will keep you from taking hold of everything that God has for you in this life. I think about this verse in Romans chapter 12, verse one through two, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves a living sacrifice offer yourselves a living sacrifice that will be found acceptable in the eyes of the lord get this he says don't copy or conform to the behaviors and customs of this world but let god transform you somebody say transform you he says let god transform you into a new person See, with the Apostle Paul, he's saying to the Church of Rome, he's saying don't conform and don't compromise on the ways that God has called you to live, Church of Rome. Exchange, don't compromise, don't fall short. But what some of us need to realize is we are living a life of compromise. There's no denying it. We're living these lives that one day in the church, things are all good, but we go back to our regular routine on a Wednesday for the turn up on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And God's calling us out of that. When I think about this moment, though, it's so important that we understand what the apostle Paul is saying to the church of Rome. He's saying, I want you to be holy just as God is holy. That word holy means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be pure. And I believe when God looks at us today in this day and age, not just the exchange, but the church of Jesus Christ, he would call out some sin within us and say, you're not really pursuing purity. You're not really striving for holiness. You're not really upholding the standard and the ways that I called you to live. And friends, I'm not preaching this message to call you out or condemn you. I'm preaching this message to help you realize there is a spirit on your life, it's a spirit of conviction, and he is calling you out of comfort to step into the life that God has called you to live. We gotta be willing to get uncomfortable. We gotta wake up and realize that compromise is leading us down the wrong path, and it's the path of destruction. So as we talk about holiness, it's so important that we recognize and realize that if I'm pursuing holiness, my life looks different than the world. I I talk differently. I I think different than the world does. I I act different. I I carry myself differently. I date differently. I I view my body differently. I view purity differently. But So many of us today, we're conforming to the patterns of this world. We're conforming and we're compromising. And friends, at the end of the day, so many of you are actively aware of your compromise, but you have yet to do anything with it. And when you read Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells these Christians, these disciples, that friends, you don't need to be in fear of man. You need to be in fear of me. So many of us, we're filled with the love of God. We hear all the messages on God's grace and his kindness. But how many of you know you should not only love God for who he is, but you should fear God because of who he is? It's a wake-up call to the church today. It's a wake-up call for you and I. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I'm grateful for his kindness. But friends, we got to be brought back to the idea of living with a holy fear of God. Giving up compromise. I'm giving up compromise. I'm passionate about this because I say it all the time. Sin, you're either killing it or it's killing you. You're either dealing with your sin or your sin is dealing with you. I read this quote the other day that stood out to me. It said, the church used to confess its sin. Now the church is dismissive of sin and unintentionally confesses that it's all right. Let that not be true of us. Let that not be true of each and every one of us in this room today. The second thing that I believe is keeping us from living in an authentic faith is a spirit of criticism that's in the church. A spirit of criticism that exists in the church. I think it's so interesting that Christians will will be so quick to criticize people in the world for their sin, but we lose sight of our own sin in the church be so quick to to point the finger at other people and call them out on their sin. But friends, can I remind you, as you point the finger at that person, you've got three fingers pointed back at yourself. I love this wake-up call in John chapter 8. There's a moment in time where we see Jesus is teaching, and as Jesus is teaching out in the open in front of a group of people, we learn that a group of religious men, the Pharisees, they come bringing in a woman caught in the act of adultery. She was sleeping around. Scripture says she had many, many men that she had slept with. So in this moment, the Pharisees, they come bring or dragging this woman before Jesus. And in John chapter 8, verse 1, it reads like this. If we have it on the screen, it says this in John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. What do you say we do? What I think is so unique about this moment, these men, they were trying to set up Jesus in a trap. They knew that the law would command and demand that this woman be stoned to death because of her sin. But in this moment, as they ask Jesus time after time, Jesus doesn't respond. He stays quiet. So Jesus actually, he bends down and he starts writing something in the ground with his fingers. Many try to figure out what he was writing, but it's still unknown to man. And as Jesus is writing in the ground, they ask him again, what should we do, Jesus? For the Old Testament tells us that we should kill this woman. So Jesus, he stands up and he says, all right, let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. And right there in that moment in verse 9, what we learn is right there in that moment as Jesus said that each and every one of the men that were standing there ready to stone this woman, they dropped their stones and they walked away. One by one. What I think is so interesting about this text is that there is a spirit of criticism in the church. And I believe our greatest issue when it comes to being critical about other people, especially those who are far from God, is that suddenly we've developed this spiritual amnesia. And we forgot what life looked like when we didn't know Jesus. And in this moment, as Jesus rebukes these men and calls them out, They came to their senses and realized, for we too have sinned greatly. And had it not been for Jesus, friends, as we are all sinners in this room today, it wasn't just Jesus' cross. It should have been our cross. And these men came to realize that in this moment, I'm trying to help you understand today, your spiritual amnesia is leading you to forget what your life once was like when you didn't know Jesus. And I'm trying to call you to attention to realize, friends, we can criticize the world, but don't forget about the sin that once existed within you. You can point the finger at the people in the world and call them out on their sin and shame them and put them on blast and do all of these things. But let's not forget, we still got three fingers pointed back at ourselves. I'm just going to kind of say this because this is where I feel my heart's at. I don't just believe that we've got a problem criticizing those who are in the world. I think as Christians in the body of Christ, we've got a problem criticizing other churches that we don't attend. I think one of our greatest issues is that the spirit of criticism, it doesn't just lead us to point the finger at the unbeliever and the people in the world. I think it causes us to to start calling out other churches and comparing ourselves to other churches and comparing other pastors to your pastor. And you start belittling other churches, you start speaking poorly about other churches, and at the end of the day, I just feel like when we do this, we're giving in to the tactics and the schemes of the enemy. I'm just kind of preaching this off the cuff right now because I feel this in my heart. Because when Jesus died, he didn't just die for our freedom, he died that there would be unity in the church. John chapter 17, it's a moment right before Jesus is about to assume the cross for our freedom and our sins. He looks and he says, Father, before I take this cross, my prayer and my hope is that the believers would be one, just as we are one. When I think about this idea of a spirit of criticism towards the church, so many of us were giving into the tactic of the enemy. How many of you know Jesus said that the church is going to be the most powerful force in all of creation? So powerful that the gates of hell cannot come against the church. And I believe wholeheartedly that when Jesus said that, Satan knew since he couldn't defeat the church, he had to join the church. Since he couldn't defeat the church, the most powerful force in all of the universe, he had to join the church. How do we see this? We see this through a spirit of criticism. Why? Because it's his way of being divisive. It's his way of dividing the body of Christ. It's his way of creating disunity and distrust in the body of Christ. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I would just submit this thought to you. You better pray and ask God to break the spirit of criticism out of you. And here at The Exchange, I I just always pray this and say this to my wife. We as a people, we're going to be known by what we are for and not what we are against. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. A whole bunch of people are bickering about the doctrine that's taking place in the early church. They're saying all these people are false teachers and all these people are uh, selfish and have these selfish ambitions and motivated by the pulpit. And the Apostle Paul, he stands up before these Christians. And he goes, "What? what does it even matter? As long as the gospel is being preached that's all that matters friends what I'm trying to help you understand today is they may be preaching a different message at that other church but as long as the gospel is being preached we should rejoice and I feel like we we just got to call it what it is it's so easy for young adult ministry in today's day and age to want to have the cool factor I want to be a part of the cool church. I want to hang out with the cool people. Friends, as a pastor of this ministry, I don't pastor this ministry to be the cool church on the corner. I pastor this ministry that we would rise up as a generation and be committed to the purposes and the plans of Jesus Christ. It's not about being cool. It's not about being heard. It's about living our life on mission, carrying and heralding the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last thing that I believe God wants to purge out of us so that we could live our lives in an authentic way. God wants to purge this way that we have of concealing our sin. He he wants to cut this out of us. He wants to break this tendency within us. He wants us to stop concealing our sin. I think about this topic of sin. It's, It's heavy. It's weighty. And so many of you in the room today, you feel the weight and the heaviness because you are covered in sin in your life. And the Bible says that you don't have to carry that weight. You can cast it all on Jesus, and you can walk in freedom. You can find healing. You can be uplifted. You don't have to carry the weight. But what you need to realize is that sin is holding you back from living the life that God's called you to live. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, That if your right hand causes you to stumble, then you should cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I know oftentimes you you read this verse and you start looking at your hand. (laughs) Start looking at your eye like, whoa. Whoa. But Jesus, he he doesn't mention this to to make a joke. He mentions this so that we could understand we are called to be radical in how we deal with our sin. Like I said earlier, so many of us, we're compromising. And we know that there's some sin in our life. We know that there's some wrong in our life. But instead of revealing it to God and acknowledging our sin to God, what do we do? We just tolerate it. We conceal it. And we hold on to it. And so many of you, are holding on to some sin in your life because you feel like, I can't talk to anyone about this sin. There's no way God is going to accept me for who I am because of my sin. I'm just here to tell you that's the farthest from the truth. It's what the enemy wants you to believe, that you can't talk to God, you can't talk to anyone about your sin and your wrongdoing. The Bible says in James chapter 5, 16, that we should confess our sins to one another. And it's in that that we find healing. But so many of you today, you're held in a stronghold, not only a stronghold because of your sin, you've got a chokehold because of your sin. And you're not walking in healing. You're not walking in freedom. Why? Because you've yet to confess your sin. You say, well, I don't think I really need to talk to anyone about this sin. I don't really need to confess this sin. No one knows this sin. The Bible would say in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, that nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. There's nothing. There's nothing. All of your sins, all of your mess-ups, all of your mistakes, God sees it, and he knows it. But guess what? The good news is this, that Jesus died for it. You don't have to walk in that shame. You don't have to walk in that pain you don't have to walk with that heaviness you don't have to walk feeling like you're held back by strongholds and maybe feel like you're in a chokehold I'm telling you freedom is meeting you right where you are but you got to confess your sin you got to talk to God about your sin as I close this message I just want you to know today the most practical thing that we can take away and do with this message is ask God to purge the compromise out of us. Ask God to remove the spirit of criticism within us. But we also gotta ask God to shape our character. I feel like this is probably the least common prayer in the church today. But all throughout the Old Testament, we would see many men and many women who were used by God to do great things. They prayed and asked God to shape their character. Let this not be true of our ministry that we forgot the the boldness of the prayer, Lord, change me and shape me and use me for your kingdom. Lord, shape my character. And when I think about asking God to shape and change and work on our character, I'm brought to this verse in Ephesians chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to a young church, the church of Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 4, He looks at this church and he says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from it, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, somebody say instead. Let the Spirit of God renew you, your thoughts and attitudes, and put on your new nature in which you were created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, when you study this text, and when you look at it in its original language, the Greek, what you'll realize is the Apostle Paul, he's, he's creating imagery of somebody putting on new clothes. And the Apostle Paul, he's saying, when you put on new clothes, it's a picture of you putting on your new identity. But don't miss what he says in, The latter end of the verse, he says, but you're also called to take off your old clothes and throw them away, which is a picture of your old identity. And I feel like as I sum up this message and as I close this message today, I just want you to know You are called to put aside the old ways, the formal ways, the ways that you had before you knew Jesus. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it's time for you to wake up and realize you are called to an authentic faith that requires you to put on the new identity that comes from knowing Jesus and asking Jesus to change you from the inside out. Lord, change me. Lord, shape my character. Lord, work on my heart, Lord. Purge the compromise, purge the criticism out of me. Make me new in you, Jesus. Let that be our prayer. Let that be our heart's desire. Let that be our heart cry. I'm passionate about this message today because I believe that God is calling us, the 400 people in this room, to understand that when we start praying this bold prayer, Lord, change me, Lord, transform me, Lord, I want to be a new creation in you. He'll start breaking things off your life. He'll start purging the sin out of your life. He'll start breaking the strongholds off your life. And I believe it's when we start doing that exchange, we might be able to be the change in the world that we wish to see. We talk about, man, I wanna see a revival. Friend, revival starts in you. Revival starts in your heart. It starts when you ask God, change me, shape me, use me. I wanna be a new creation for you, Jesus. I wanna be new. I wanna walk in all that you have for me, God. Would you stand on your feet today? I just wonder if we accepted the challenge to pray that bold prayer, how different our homes, our communities, our schools, our workplaces and workspaces would be. I believe that this room right here has the opportunity to mark the city of Tampa Bay, to bring revival to the city of Tampa Bay, to bring change to the city of Tampa Bay. The Bible says it's at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I just feel like we've got an opportunity as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, to live in a way that we're pointing people to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who holds the universe in the palms of his hands. But friends, we gotta wake up and ask God, God, I need you to change me. God, I want you to transform me. God, I want you to purge the things out of my life. We're not waiting anymore. No one else is coming, friends. God is calling us to live with an authentic faith. So let's be a people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Let's be a people who are filled with the conviction for the things of God. Let's be a people who are filled with the courage to live with a boldness in our faith. We're not waiting. We're not waiting. The time is now. Lord, change me. Lord, use me. I want to be used by you, God. Come on, if you believe it, would you lift your hands? Would you praise them? Come on, lift up your voice.